0: Good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for joining us today for um, a rather special episode. It's going to be pretty much entirely about the WTA finals that have just come to a conclusion. But of course, it's also the conclusion to the end of the year. And I'm really pleased to have with us James today at Tennis Ranter. Am I saying that correctly from Twitter?
2: Yes, you are. It is uh, our tenth answer,
0: indeed. Great. Um, and I think it's a perfect Twitter handle because that's a certain place that we can all go and have and vent our feelings. Listen, James, first of all, um, can you just introduce yourself and tell us about your relationship with the sport?
2: Sure. So um, I'm relatively, as, as a sort of classic Brit, um, almost, um, I spent a lot of years watching Wimbledon. Um, you know, first time they were watching it was the sort of the back end of tim Henman's career beginning of andy murray's um and it always used to be wimbledon and i'm watching a bit of queens but it never went beyond that for a number of years and i went to university and whatnot and then i came back uh or at least went out of the university and then watched wimbledon again because it kind of fell out of my mindset especially when murray after murray won in 2016. Uh, <clears throat> and then um i went to wimbledon in 2021 and i kind of like wow actually I really, you know, this, I, there is I love there's a reason why I love this sport generally, not just because of the grass court season. Uh so I started to follow it to so start to go right. I have an Amazon Prime subscription. They pay play a lot of the actual tennis itself on the uh on there. And then the next thing, you know, the week later I was watching uh 250 in Prague, uh the <laughs> yeah, that one hard, outdoor hard court event in Prague um, in uh, in July. Uh okay. and I was like, right, and then ever since then I've just been watching any um as much of it as possible. Uh, I've had a chance to finally get out back on the tennis court for um, on a couple of sessions, which has been fantastic. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of it's classic common... Dom- I call it sort of a, a lowest common denominator in terms of of a fan that, you know, I support a lot of the British players. You know, being a Brit myself, it, um, it's quite easy to do so. Um, but then starting to pick up, you know, the game styles and whatnot um, that make, you know, make me, uh, you know, like the likes of, funny enough, <laughs> the actual winner of this tournament that we're going to talk about, Garcia, her mm-hmm. game style is... Um, it's exciting, it's fun to watch, uh, and it's aggressive. And it's, uh, well, uh, uh, hopefully it one thing we have in common is we're both Man United fans. So it's the one thing oh, that okay. I, uh, I always had when I was uh, watching, um, when, I, when I became a sort of Man United supporter, was it had a similar sort of game style. And then finding players that also have that game style as well. Hey, that's a good book. <laughs> that's a very good book, you are that. Um, very well not, written. Very well written. The best I can show you is my um, old shirt. <laughs> on um, my last year's shirt with Iran on the back um, but yeah it's um, and ever since then I was like I wanted an outlet to be able to talk about it because I followed because I had, a, had my normal Twitter account but I didn't because of other bits I can't necessarily start tweeting a lot about tennis on there but um, I was like okay so I'll create an actual pseudoname Tennis tranta uh, and be able to sort of like communicate and have a chat with people online uh, especially to do with the uh, Twitter sphere. And then ever since then, I um, was invited to write some articles Botcorn tennis and I've stayed around there since, and I do a bit of um, commentary as well for, um, game to love. So to love, yeah. it's kind of snowballed since then effectively in a band, and I've had the chance to be able to go, uh, I, was, I like traveling and also my, my background's tourism. Uh, I'm, okay. a te- I'm generally, I'm a teacher of tourism at the moment. Um, okay. so I've had the chance so I've kind of coupled that with actually going to a lot of events in Europe, um, um quite recently I went to Paris last week. Um, so it's, uh, it's it's been great to be able to do that as well and go to these great stadiums and, uh, and watch some great players play.
0: Which day were you in Paris
2: last week? Uh, the quarter final day on the Friday. Um, I got the chance to watch, well, watch Alcaraz get defeated, funny enough. I found it weird because I finally got a chance to watch Alcaraz play. Uh, Brunei would be a brilliant match and then the fact mm-hmm. that it's the way in which Alcaraz was the problems persisted, and Rune really stepped that level up during that match, especially um, you know, beforehand, the aggression. Our pressers couldn't match it, and it was it was jarring. Uh, it was jarring to watch. What was also kind of quite bizarrely jarring was um, the way in which the actual venue set out. I believe you went, didn't you? The, um, yeah,
0: the, the, yeah the... I agree. I had issues on the Wednesday in terms of getting in between the evening or the afternoon and, and night session because it's just kind of crammed because there's only one entrance. Mm. And it's just a bizarre thing where people are queued up outside in fairly chilly November, although it could be worse um, in terms of the time of year. And um, there was a little bit of a crush at times as the evening people wanted to get in and the the daytime people were still watching a match that was going on. Um, It is an issue. I I, I do think that Paris is building a bit of a reputation, bearing in mind how the Champions League final went this year. Fortunately, Mm. tennis fans are not quite as... um, impatient let's say compared to football fans and and there there are pros and cons to both sports in terms of fandom but uh yeah what was your thoughts on that briefly before we do get into the wta finals that's all
2: right um it was the stadium's utterly fantastic um the center court stadium um to go in there like i've been you know i've been i've been to the center court wimbledon of uh uh, and i've been to the center court at, at monte carlo at the beginning of the year Mm-hmm. uh and wow it, it just took my breath away with them um, in uh, the amount of people they got in the, the numbers of support which is absolutely fantastic but the weirdest thing is actually the difference between this center court and court one because because okay. court, court one is did you get a chance to go down to court one
0: no i just stayed on set i'm a i'm a glory boy i just stayed for the center court action
2: I <laughs> <laughs> so i went down to court one and i was like okay where's it going to be is it going to be in like another big part of the building and whatnot and he's of follow these signs around and they got so it showed. Okay, signs to go to court one and two is to go down these stairs, and you pretty much feel as though you're going right down to the basement of the actual building itself. And you can hear the mm-hmm. aircon all going up, um, all going at um, ten to a dozen above you. Uh And then you get down there, and it feels this utterly strange thing. It's a very small court. It looks a lot bigger on TV than it actually is when you get there. Uh, and it's it doesn't feel you know when you go when you go from the center court up there and I can imagine for the players how jarring it must be you get like a big center court match one day and then you get shoved down to court one or two the next it just being you know much much smaller um, very airy very quiet at points especially when you have a lot of fans that are upstairs um, and it's just the weirdest thing having having your second court pretty much feels like you're, you're hiding it in the basement somewhere that you don't really <laughs> want really anyone to see.
0: Cool. I mean, I know you've just written an article uh, for Popcorn Tennis on um, basically trying to watch tennis on a budget. Uh, it can be a bit tricky, especially when you're looking at, I think it was $15 a beer at, um, at the US Open this year, which given the way the euro is uh, right now, it was particularly difficult. But um, listen, that's we're digressing somewhat. Let's get into the WTA finals. Uh, I will be just bringing something up on the screen right now. Let's uh, bring up uh, a wonderful image of Caroline Garcia. This is her Twitter account. Uh, where she just uh, simply says champion. And listen, Garcia in the second half of this year has been amazing. Uh, We talked about some of the aggressive players on the men's side and how that is an exciting element. We see the return position that she has. What what did you make of her tournament at the WTA finals and and basically her year as a whole?
2: Oh, that's a very good question. Um, Her finals, she played it relatively straightforwardly. I mean, barring her loss to, I mean, relatively straight um, forwardly, the, the loss to Iga was a bit of a surprise to me given that I felt she was going to win that match just because she got she's won the match previously um, and indoor hard tends to be quite a good surface for her. I know that um, a few years ago when she made the finals, I think it was in 2018, she yeah. had a mass, she had like an Contour eight style uh, and um, in, indoor hard court run to, the, uh, um, to, to pick up enough points to be able to get in there um but you know she she was able to see off the players that she should that you'd expect her to to sort of see off um I guess granted it got a bit hairy with Kazakina in that um what felt like a quarterfinal in the group stages um match um, which actually turned out to be a real quite um a real real epic on on that one there but you know it's the players she players she faced um I mean when it came to the semi when it came to the semi-final I think a lot of the issues with um Zachary is that she went from a situation of being the expect you know being the underdog she just about scraped in uh when she got to uh yeah she just she just about scraped into the uh finals itself uh that final in uh Guadalajara uh just a week prior helped helped get her into the actual um helped get her into the actual venue at the event itself and then was the underdog during all the during all the uh uh during all the group stage matches um and then what happened you know and, and when you have that she was swinging really freely it was and you know, i was really surprised when she beat Pagula in the first in the first match i felt it was going to be a repeat of guadalajara with uh Bagula getting the victory but no uh sacri straight sets i think it was all the way through in, in, in all her um in, in all her qualify in all her um group stage matches so but then it got to a situation of course but it was like roles reverse Garcia just about scraped through the uh what i say straight through the um her group stage yeah, she, I mean, she did. It,
0: was a, it was a final set tie break that basically got her to the semi-finals against kazakhina
2: yeah it um just, it just just shows how you know it could have been oh so different if, if that if that type went a different way yeah. uh at which you know, it really shows the small margins that exist in this in, in this game that you know you don't you know you have to be absolutely on your limit to the absolute end of the match um to be able to pick up the rewards at the end of the day and Garcia stayed at that higher level, continued to do what she she did best and um got the win in the in the end. But then, yeah, like I said, Sakri Lang was the favourite. Her level dropped. Um, it was a prevalent in that match, especially look at the scoreline where you know 6'3, 6'2 is a pretty commanding way of beating uh, your semi-final opponent, especially when you expect, you know, if you look at the Ega um versus Sabalenka uh, scoreline, that wasn't, you know, that was a natural match. Swings in both matches, both players deserved it, you know. Very much deserved that, you know, or made their way there and showed the level that they needed to work at. Whereas you know Garcia played her game, played her game incredibly well. That she's been doing, you know, harking back to uh, the Cincinnati um, 1000 um, victory, you know, and bringing in those elements to semi-finals at the U.S. Open. It was really good to see that that style of game or or that level of game came back um, into this um, in, into this finals because we know that a lot of players. Uh, we see it both in the men's game and also in the women's game that, they, you know, they get to the finals, they get the paycheck and then they go, right, we'll play at a six out of 10 level. And if we get out of the group stages, we get out of the group stages. But, you know, we'll leave it at that. But no, Garcia brought that high level, was determined to win the trophy. Um, very nice looking trophy it is as well. I like the fact that even though they try to modernise this tournament as much as possible, they still kept quite an elegant and um, old fashioned style uh, cup that you would kind of you would see it generally at any tennis club in, up and down the country is like something yeah. back in the nineteen eighties um, <laughs> uh, which is uh <laughs> which is excellent to see that they still keep that that tradition uh running on there but then of course um she, so she was able to dominate that match against um uh, against uh Zachary. Zachary, mm-hmm. of course Sakari's level dropped a bit there. Um but then going on to the final I mean when it's a big hitter versus a big hitter Garcia comes out and she swings really well um, and Sabalenka, when she's, uh, you know, we've it's, it's seen it in the past when it comes to her playing big hitters. You know, you uh, you think it's going to be a brilliant thing that they're going to basically take the skin off the tennis ball every time that every time that a rally takes place. But you know, usually, Sakari, uh, unfortunately, Sabalenka kind of wilters in those matches. She, she much rather prefers to play someone who's going to who's going to try and use a different style of tactics against her, and her being the major big hitter. Uh, and it was seen by the fact that you know Garcia stayed at the high level 11 aces over 4 which i think was you know fancy mm-hmm. you know, which, which shows that the the, uh, the service the, the serv, um the service numbers by Garcia were significantly higher you'd expect more from Sabalenka in a match than four aces yeah. um and especially in a situation where you have one set at a tiebreaker and the other one 6 4 i mean yeah. you know Sabalenka still came out and played incredibly well much higher than she usually does in these types mm-hmm. of matches um but you know Garcia you know the Andy Murray tweet tweet that keeps on get keeps on being brought up about this girl will be a uh, number one one day uh i mean if that ever happens we still will wait to see but she has that she has the, you know we know that she has this talent and when she plays that talent incredibly um you know when she plays that you know shows that talent on a regular basis like we saw in cincinnati like we saw at the us open to a degree what we saw um in that sort of grass and um slash mini european in Central European play court swing, you know, she can, she's unbeatable uh, at, at points and, but we know that consistency is key. And, you know, there are points where she can swing at it and it can end up hitting the backboard more than it's going to hit the actual Island. And that's, that's the thing. And you're bringing up the, uh, the bringing up the tweet itself.
0: Yeah. Listen, just, just quickly, I, I want to say, I just put into Google Andy Murray tweet. Okay. And Mm -hmm. the Google suggestion afterwards was Caroline Garcia, Okay, which Mm -hmm. uh, I know Scott Barkley was on Twitter today joking about that, how he loves that (laughs) every time Garcia does well, somebody mentions this tweet. And this is basically uh, him uh, referring to Garcia about, I think you can see May 2011. The girl Sharapova is playing is going to be number one in the world one day. Caroline Garcia, what a player. You heard it here first. Well, she's now up to number four in the world um and and to be honest with you i i, I don't know I, I i maybe i'm being a bit mean but i do think this is the the limit. I've just got a tweet here from Jose Morgado as well. Mm -hmm. 29-year-old Gus here wins the WTA finals in straight sets over Sabalenka. Uh, She didn't face a break point. Very important point that is as as well. Sabalenka Mm -hmm. would be a bit disappointed that she couldn't be a bit more threatening. I think there was barely any deuces. There might have been one or two towards the end of the match. I think the last game of the match she did go to juice. Um, Biggest title of her life and now she's up to her career high. She's equaled it of number four as of today. Uh, And also she was outside the top 70 a year ago. I think even earlier this year She beat, obviously, uh, I think she beat Raducanu at Wimbledon this year. It's obviously a nice feather in her cap. She also Mm. beat Skriantek on clay in Poland as well. So the year started to really gather pace from the summer onwards. And on the final yesterday itself, um, I think the level was extremely high from both players. Uh, I think it was all about a five or 10 minute period in the match. We see this so often, particularly with some of the best players in the world, where they go on a spurt, they win the tie break, for example, and then they get an early break in the second second set. And that's exactly what Garcia did. I I think Sabalenka did turn up. Sometimes she doesn't turn up. Sometimes she makes mistakes. She gets advantages like she had against Fiontech in New York and then kind of blew it but I don't think that was the case for Savalenki yesterday. I think Garcia's level was just super high. She was so consistent on the serve as you, as you highlighted as well. And yeah, I think Garcia's really impressed me. And and I remember seeing her at the French open in 2020. I think she went through the first two or three rounds there and she was looking good. But then I started seeing some characteristics in her game that I wasn't too happy with. I think there were some superstitious moments with a tennis ball uh, that she wanted to get back. Mm. Now, I know we talk about other players such as Rafa in particular with their superstitions, but Rafa talks about his superstitions as being a way of just keeping him focused. When Mm. you're starting to ask for that tennis ball back because you've got a superstition, because Rafa says it's not about superstitions. When you're starting to say, can I have that ball? You're losing focus. You're losing the momentum that you've just Mm. built up. And then you put pressure on yourself to win the next point because it's all about the ball, right?
2: So, I mean, I think I, I think I saw a stat somewhere that was to do with um, uh, Gasquet. Um, this, this exact thing, where every, if he hits an ace or he hits something, which is he, under, uh, he does the same thing: get the the ball back, get the ball back. Uh, and then so I think somebody that clocked, um, or at least followed him in a tournament or whatever, uh, and found that the next point, I think it was like 13 out of 16 times, he'd end up losing it uh, yeah. instead of actually um, instead of actually winning it. So yeah, superstitions are there, but they don't necessarily always work.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the thing is, I always think that in sport and, and especially tennis, I think if you've got a purpose and you can hold on to that purpose, if you like, whether your motivation is is coming from anywhere. But I, I, I do like a purpose to, to going for things. You know, we sometimes see it in, in other sports where there's anniversaries and you feel like there's a momentum with you or there's something else going on in the world and you can use that to your, your advantage. I really think that's that's very useful. But That is about channeling the mind and channeling your focus, if you like. I just found that with Garcia in this particular French Open in 2020, uh, and then I didn't really see much of her for a year or two. And then really from this summer onwards, and by the way, there was a Daily Mail article, and I want this to be mentioned again, that said Raducanu lost to a nobody this year at Wimbledon. Well, that nobody has just won a Masters 1000 event. She's now the world number four, and she's just won the biggest title of her career. So, Maybe uh, those words have been shoved down the journalist's throat, but well, listen, as,
2: as we know, as we know, the the majority of sports journalists that watch Wimbledon don't. Have, that's the first time and the only time they probably ever watched tennis. Exactly. So unless it's Serena Williams, they're not necessarily going to know who 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 Raducanu's opponents are going to be.
0: Well, Garcia's opponent yesterday was Savalenka. Uh, I've touched on her, and I think it's, it was a generally a positive tournament. And in fact, at least there was a, a, a nicer end to her year. She qualifies for the WTA finals. She would have been a bit disappointed with the way she lost in New York. But um, obviously getting to the final is another step. She's not been in the Grand Slam final yet. And I think that's obviously what will have to be the goal for her next year. Uh, a nice little tweet here from Tennis Updates. As far as Sabalenka is concerned, to go from having to do an underarm serve, because you couldn't get an, un, uh, an overarm serve in play in Adelaide at the beginning of the year, to then winning 33 <laughs> matches uh, for the year. It's a great turnaround for her she did do a few double faults yesterday but not necessarily more than you would expect somebody who has such a big serve like Sabalenka I think you're right the ace count will be disappointing especially as her opponent of course goes aggressive on that service return Mm -hmm. so maybe you'd think that she might be able to get a few more unreturnables in but
1: it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woo a hand clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
0: 18+. Listen, Sabalenka, I do hope her time will come. I can see Gary in the live chat saying something similar. Somebody else who I also hope their time will come as well is Maria Zachary, who, by the way, crushed Sabalenka in the group stage. But her semi- semi-final yips returned and she was extremely flat when she went out um, to Garcia. What are your thoughts on Garcia? Uh, sorry, what are your thoughts on Zachary? Oh,
2: on Zachary, uh, I-, I worry the baggage is going to get too much at this stage. Um the thing that struck me quite strongly uh, this was a few weeks ago was the palmer final against um uh, against maria sheriff I mean, um I mean. who you know it's brilliant that the first the first egyptian woman to win a t- to, to win a title um yes bizarrely it was that a weird clay court clay court tournament in the middle of a hardcore swing but that tournament was effectively built so that Sachary you know Zachary was meant to win it You know and every single match i remember looking at the scores for that um um, that tournament and and catching um, some of the matches of points where every single match you played from the first round straight through to the final it was free sets it was it it constantly and and it was like well you know this is a situation where you're playing players that in theory your level is much higher um, than them and you should be able to beat um without any issues but she didn't. She kept on getting herself involved in, in in really quite long matches, um, really quite mentally draining matches, and it and it showed in the final. And yes, there was I think there was a rain delay, which meant that the semi. No, oh, no, no. They built it so that the semi-finals were played on the exact same day as the final. It's very bizarre that they even planned it. So actually, so that was the main thing that they were running there. Um, but it, you know, th- you know, she had had so much emotional energy spent on that, and then it got to the final, and then she got tight again. That you know that one. That one title in there, uh, I think it's a revolt, um is where, yeah, about, is where She's yeah. got that about That's it. Has um, is, is been the only only way forward. And, and, and yes, she's had you know the final at Indian Wells is probably the only real major standout we could point to this year um, in, in terms of um, you know in terms of a ma- major run somewhere. But ever since then, it's been either first round exits. I mean, I think she was close to having a, a, a like a one on one record when it came to her season of lose one. You know, but win one, lose one. Quite literally, mm. you know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, that would have been the case in uh, in in in, Sa- in um Zachary's books. You know, it's just you know, it's a shame really because I remember you know my first in my first watching a Sacri was that Raducanu semi-final at the U.S. Open last year, and she you know she even though she lost that match, she still seemed very immense, and it seemed as though you know the you know Zachary was going to go on and at least win a, at least a W one thousand um event this year, and and for her to have. You know, for her to be able to at least pick up, get to the final of Guadalajara again this year, um, a couple with the final in Indian Wales, and to have enough points to get into the tournament was, was a really good achievement, similar for Sabalenka in terms of, you know, I, again, I remember watching those Adelaide matches early, early in the morning um, our time um, and just being aghast by the fact that, you know, the woman that I saw was tearing it up at Wimbledon not six months prior um, was struggling to get the ball in and players were just having to stick with her and then you know i was really impressed with her us open run i felt that was um that helped at least give her a little bit of confidence but it kind of fell under under the radar since then but you know it's amazing how two players there who were in the finals last year um managed to just be consistent and stay under the radar enough to to pick up enough points to get into the finals this year yeah um i mean i think both.
0: Both of those players, perhaps, or certainly, um, uh, Zachary didn't have a great Wimbledon, and of course, that doesn't mm-hmm. really matter in terms of this year's points. So, that probably helped one or two players on the men's side as well.
2: Mm. No, I agree. It's, um, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, you know, they've, they've been consistent in the right areas. Um, I know, um, Sabalenka also got to the semi finals at the, um, at at uh, the US Open losing to Iga mm-hmm. there in a, in a tight three set uh, was it a tight three set I believe for that three match sets, as well? yeah, and she
0: was a break up I was actually fortunate enough to be at that match and she was a break up in the third as well so
2: yeah, yeah. she's one she she's one of those She's probably one of those bogey players for eager who you know was used to beating eager um before Eiger had the has had the season that she's had and she'll probably be one of the few players that she'll want to avoid still um um in tournaments to come because she can be that right. banana skin player i mean i remember watching i didn't i didn't get a chance to watch that match but i watched the final in stuttgart earlier in the season on on, on the indoor clay um right. and that was an immense match between both players that were at a similar level of, or, or were battling it out at a fit you know what felt like a 50 50 match with you know just key moments here and there being the deciding factor in who was going to win that tournament
0: Absolutely, and in fact, her head-to-head now with um uh Sab- with Fionte is actually two and four, so it's two wins Sabalenka, four for Fiontek. But it is competitive each time. I mean, that could easily be three all, really, and Sabalenka could have made the U.S. Open final, and and who knows where what what would have happened after that. But um, I think Sabalenka has won the first and most recent matches between the between the two, so that also gives you something. And I just think you, I think it's a really good point you make that next time they play each other. Sabalenka will have the belief I know I can beat this woman even when she's in the form of her life almost um well now we're on the subject of uh Uh, we will come to the WTA final as a a general point shortly. But before we do that, let's just have a quick look um, at this nice little image that I've got on, going to put on the screen for us right now regarding Sviontek. It's crazy, she said, reflecting on her season after a slightly uh, disappointing, of course, exit over three sets where she was a bit flat maybe in the third set uh, against uh, Sabalenka. But boy, oh boy, what a year.
1: At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.
2: It's got there, were, there. Was no adjective in the English language that describes the year that Shontex had. In my opinion, uh, it's we know context is a key thing. We you know in January we came off the back of Barty winning both Adelaide at the 500 level, beating really top top level opponents on the way, and then having a bit, unfortunately, a bit of a more easier-ish in terms of rankings run uh, to the uh, to, to, to the title in, in in Australia. And a lot of people were, you know, a lot of us were kind of thinking, right, you know, basically, wherever Barty's going to rock up to next, she'll win the tournament or have at least 90% chance of winning the tournament. So when, when you know, when March came around and she announced that her retirement, a lot of us, you know, a lot of me, me included, were, right, this is, you know, what's going to happen to the to the women's game in terms of is it just going to be all over the shot? Are we going to get, you know, ten, you know, a half the W one thousand title is going to be won by women who are ranked two hundred in the world or whatever? But for Triontec to then take that mantle that you know was left down by uh, left down by Barty, you know, the fact that there was going to be you know, a, a new number one what number one in the world who was not going to be seen as a new number one in the world and to go, right, I'm going to win Doha, I'm going to win Indian Wells, I'm going to win Miami, Stuttgart, Rome, in um, Roland Garros, to win all those tournaments with all the different uh, factors that are, that are at those tournaments, going from, you know, outdoor hard onto, you know, the desert into the actual, to the humid, humid jungle, over to indoor clay, over to, you know, Roman Colosseums, and then down to the French (laughs) Open. I mean, that's just, you know, to have that that ability to run from all those different types of tournaments and to keep winning and to pick the tournaments that you're going to pick and then to win those tournaments in such a convincing fashion pretty much every single time, yeah, it's... I, I just can't believe you know, can't believe it. And then, you know, and it really didn't state to the fact that she is the, the undisputed number one in the world and that and, and you know, we, we now would like of course a rival to stat, stand up to stand up to um to eager now because we don't want a you know a situation of complete dominance like this. I think we all remember Federer to a degree, to a degree in you know 04 to, um, to, 0, to 07 effectively. Uh, I know Rafa did win the Ronald Garroses between those times, but for the rest of the tournaments, it w- it was just one person winning it, and it can get a t- you know a tab. T- you know, it will get maybe a tad boring, but I suspect we are going to get people who are going to come up and face, um, come up and face it. But then, you know, but I think the most impressive victory for me in terms of for Shu was going into that US Open. You know, coming off what was a bit of a, I'd say Kumpsi um Mm-hmm. American hardcourt season, yeah. you know, not necessarily winning the matches we were expecting, not getting far enough and whatnot, and then complaining about the balls and whatnot, which you know a fair point given the fact that why should they be playing with two different sets of balls in t- um, and their weightings and the way that they're designed. But then just to go right, I'm gonna step, you, know, you know, and play the blinder. We knew she played the blinder with the media on that one. Nobody was really looking at her in terms of who, um, to win the title. And then just went about winning her matches, winning her matches, winning her matches. And then all of a sudden in the final, and then putting away on's um, in such a convincing fashion. And then and this is probably part of the reason why I don't think she would have, she actually got the win against Sabalenka was she probably played a little bit too much after the U.S. Open going into this um, final. She didn't realistically need to play. huge number of tournaments but still ended up in a situation where she was where she played um ostrava uh, and then also um san diego and especially that's um possibly the san diego tournament just because of the um just just uh just just because of where it was in the season and 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 the and effectively what san diego was going to be in terms of an outdoor hard tournament she was not going to play that at the um at the finals she could, probably couldn't could, could have just rested at that point and would have had a little bit more energy to go into uh, into these finals. But, you know, we can't discredit for the fact that she at least was at least was a world number one that we have the ability to watch. She wasn't one that just played, you know, that only played nine tournaments a year. She was prepared to play 15, 16 tournaments so that people around the world uh, you know, and, and us watching at home are able to actually exp- um, enjoy watching Spionte play on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. Uh, just regarding her, um, you know, her, uh, her defeat, if you like, uh, against um, Irina Savalenka on that defeat. And she obviously said it's been a crazy year. Um she said uh, she, her, her season came to an end, obviously, in defeat, a slightly disappointing end to what's been an otherwise marvellous year for the the Polish uh, world number one. Uh, the top seed at the WGFA finals, she bowed out to Sabalenka, 6-2, 6 And by the way, that second set was super, was very, very close to being a bagel. I think she yeah. had great points or, or to go five love up, uh, or she was very close to doing so. But it was just her ninth loss in a year that spanned over 11 months. Uh, In a quote afterwards, she said, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been waiting for that moment, Svantec said, reflecting on her season. Because last week, basically, it was pretty hard to see the finish line. I think perhaps her tank was getting close to empty. And that would indicate why she was so flat in that third set. But still be fully motivated and ready for every match. On one hand, I'm sad that I lost. But on the other hand, I have a day off uh, and a little bit more time off to enjoy. uh, So the rest of the sort of off season. So that's something on the bright side. She said, on the dark side, this tournament wasn't an overwhelming success. She also, Sfiontech, did touch on the fact that she would love for the WTA to kind of settle for next year's finals. I think it was just like six weeks before the tournament they announced the location, despite last year's success in Guadalajara. Guadalajara obviously had a a Masters 1000 tournament uh, during the autumn period. Um, but she would like them to just settle on one place and maybe make it as big an event as the ATP has with the ATP success in both London and now Turin. What mm. are your thoughts on the fan turnout and the organization as a whole?
2: It's just not good enough by the um, the women's uh, by, by the by the WTA. <laughs> it's you are a multi billion close to pound organization that stra- straddles tennis across the world in major sporting events the fact that you announce six as you say six to eight weeks before the actual tournament is to take place that you know the location and for that location to be one that has had its that that has its faults in terms of to kind of retract back you when it comes to choosing an event like this you would you need to apply in my opinion two major principles which is for that, for there to be, um, for there to be at least some sort of proven track record of an area, uh, you know, the area that you're going into, buying up tennis tickets and actually going and filling out events, and then also to have some sort of t- um, tennis culture for that to really, really be ingrained in in, a, uh, in in a in a destination in the people in that destination, because you know where Fort Worth situated, it's not going to be you know if you're a European. Um, you know if you're a european tennis fan you're not going to be able to really go over there unless you're part of the um, part of the commentary team or you're a real avid fan that can spend that sort of money to be flying out to fort worth uh, fort worth um you know a month you know buying those tickets a month before going out um and you know personally myself i would have been looking at something maybe in europe um if you were looking for a safe pair of hands if Guadalajara was not going to be able to um was not going to be able to to meet the um requirement because they wanted of course they wanted more stability and they've finally got a well they've now got that you know the w1000 event which is fantastic for them to be able to have i mean it's a it's a tennis mad nation and they and they applied the principles and they worked with those principles you know we see year on year out um um tournaments such as acapulco and uh uh, and Los Cabos, you know, the men's tours constantly sell out really well. So we have that first test proven where it is a destination which is which is proven to actually sell out in terms of numbers. Uh, and then we have, um, you know, the fact that they have a strong tennis culture in that um, in that country as well, meant that those stadiums were always going to be filled out. That isn't good enough, as that picture kind of shows. You know, uh, yes, it's uh, this is taken from a round robin match, but you have got the eight best players in the world playing against each other you would expect at least at the round at the round robbing stage to have a 75 percent 75 percent capacity at least uh and you know we i think we all saw sort of you know screenshots that came from twitter as well about you know them on resale something as low as six or seven dollars yeah um, for a ticket which just it just isn't good enough, and I don't, and I, I don't, and you know, not to sound like you know, not to sound a bit like Gary Neville when he says this, this is Manchester United, but you know, this is the Women's Tennis Association. Yeah, they yeah. shouldn't be in a situation where they're announcing an event three weeks beforehand. I know there's a situation with China, and I think the WTA needs to actually sit down and have a longer term think about what is their relationship with China going to be. Do they realistically see themselves going back to China before the end of the contract? And if do they see themselves going back before the end of the contract? you know, in enough time to actually get some worth out of it. And, the, and I think they may have to ask a serious question, which is for the sake of this showpiece event, which is meant to be the big marquee, um, you know, big marquee project that you have at the end of the all year, because, you know, you're not a grand, you're not, they're not the grand slam, but, you know, that's, you know which is the four pillars of our, of the sport. But you are, I and mean, this is the biggest event that you put on do you not want to maybe buy out that contract spend you know that it may end up costing a lot of money and then go out and find a venue somewhere maybe in europe maybe over in mexico or at least in a uh, at least in a tennis a, te- a cultural t- culturally tennis environment or place where this where that could get played i mean like, like i referred to at the beginning of the show when it came to uh when it came to me going to paris at the quarter final day there absolutely ran every single seat on a friday yeah um, all the way through both in the day sessions and in the night sessions in a 15,000 seater stadium. The WTA could have that as well. It mm-hmm. just needs to, it, it needs to make sure that it, it chooses a location that I think myself, uh, I think, like I said, that applies those principles um, that, that, are, that are noted. So that you know this situation that we had in fort worth doesn't happen again because it's going to be a roll of the dice every single year if they're only going to wait two months before the event to take place before saying which city it's going to or which city or area in the world it's going to get located in and you know and they they can either roll it and they get a guadalajara again or they could roll it and get a fort worth and Mm -hmm. i don't think that's good enough for this event
0: no i i couldn't agree with you more I'll, i'll add a few things listen it's uh, I I see Gary using the word inexcusable in the chat. I think it's inexcus- inexcusable given that the Peng Shui and the China situation emerged over a year ago now. Mm-hmm. That it was six weeks before the event that they said it was going to be in Fort Worth, which uh, you know it's just not enough time to get the the promotional stuff out there that you really should be building throughout the year. Um, in addition to that, why not start the tournament on a Saturday? Start the tournament on a Saturday. It would finish a day or two earlier, which would also therefore mean that some of the players that have unfortunately had to drop out the Billie Jean Cup would have had another day or two to potentially make it. Um, But in addition to that, if you start it on a Saturday, you've then got four of your eight days that fall on a weekend, which Hmm. makes it a lot easier for the people to attend in the stadium. You can have the matches on a little bit earlier, so therefore the European viewers can also tune in. Um, because you know, European viewers are—we're I, 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 not living in a Eurocentric world. Well, we are living in a Eurocentric world, in to some extent. I try and to look at it from another point of view. But if you had it on a weekend, you'd get your North American, South American, European, and potentially also African viewers. And we know how big Angerberg is on that on, on that continent and throughout the Arab world. You'd have, you'd basically be able to get you know huge amounts, and it would be unfortunate for Australia and New Zealand and some parts of Asia but most of the world will be at sea four of the eight days, including the culmination of the event. You'd have Mm -hmm. the final, therefore on a Sunday afternoon, local time where everyone can get out and enjoy it. Families as well. Uh, Etc., because if you obviously have it on a Monday night that late, kids can't go. You know, why not make it kids for free? Let's get kids. If you're selling tickets for $6, you might as well let the kids come in free just to add to the atmosphere. I can see the Billie Jean King Cup has done something similar today, whereby I know it's happening on a Monday afternoon that they obviously begin the tournament, but at least kids are getting involved and the evenings will be a little bit more popular. It's Um, one of the reasons,
2: just to to note in why I think because the French Open do a thing where they start on a Sunday, which I think helps as well when it comes to. Keeping yeah. it, I think that's a brilliant idea, especially as there's no tennis on that day. Yeah. And it's effectively a wasted day when it comes to being able to sell to people to go and actually watch them watch some tennis because accessibility of the sport has to be key and has to be fundamentally key to decisions that get made. I know I, I get a bit annoyed when people start having to go at night matches just just because night matches, especially for those people who live in that sort of time zone, so night matches in Europe or night matches in North America uh, during the week. You know, a lot of us get home around about six, seven o'clock at night, and we do want to watch tennis when we get home, and we want to watch some of the best names play. And, uh, you know, when you see people complain, oh, why are there night matches? Why shouldn't they all be through the day? Because then that accessibility would start to to go away. Them I love night matches. Day. I love them. Uh, and by the way, uh, regarding
0: this WAT finals from the from the Monday to Friday period, if we had it over an eight day period, if you like, with the with the with the two weekends or nine day period, if you like, um, uh, I've, I get it. You want to have the matches probably a bit later in the day, so more locals can get along and, and watch. But um, no, I'm. I, I, I love night matches. I just think that you also need to take care with night matches that they don't mm. start at one a.m. or whatever they did in Paris, Bercy recently, uh, and so they're finishing at three a.m. and and also thinking about public transport. Pa- Paris, uh, funny enough, again seems to be the center of attention regarding this part and organization because also it, um, the French Open as well starting the night sessions at eight oh. thirty or nine o'clock or something. No, start them at seven p.m. You know,
2: that, that, um, that, that. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it when I went. You know, it's it was seven forty-five for. A, us in the UK, uh, and I was like, okay, that's that's still fairly late to start a match, um, you know. But you know, especially if you can have best of three sets, yeah. But I couldn't imagine if you were a French watcher or, or a Central European watcher who was on that time zone to have to, you know, the first ball, the first competitive ball is not going to get hit until nine o'clock. I mean, that's that's quite that's incredibly late, and you're not going to be able to keep many people in um, at that late at night. But something starting around about seven ish for a three setter, so it should only be one match realistically in the night sessions. You want to have two matches, have it starting a little bit earlier and people come you have in. Two, in. Two,
0: at the French Open, you could have two women's matches or one men's, basically, yeah. and do one of the two and maybe alternate it each day.
2: Hmm. Absolutely. But yeah, like you said, um, you know, going to your point originally about the start time. Weekends, absolutely. Um, it, I think I think that's, you know, I know the ATP Cup did that um, originally, um, before it's now been changed, of course, to the United Cup. Um, where they started it on the weekend it just means that the first round of matches people can get involved with and, and if you get people in at the beginning they're most likely to stay to the end but you can start you start your tournament at midday on a Monday when everyone's at work everyone's going to go oh, okay and then they may not they may end up something else will take to take their take their interest and then they won't end up actually watching it until maybe the, maybe the final or whatnot and then you know you have situations where nobody's able to go uh, and watch the event in the actual stadium itself.
0: Anyway, listen. Uh, th- thanks very much, James, for joining us. Everybody in the live chat as well. It was great to have you on board, um, mm-hmm. James. Just to remind us, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh,
2: so I've got my um, handle just in the uh, in my name, but there. So I'm at tennisranter, uh, and please make sure, to yeah, give me a follow. It'd be fantastic. Um, I'm usually quite active. I hope to be quite active still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, um, uh, and then also, um, yeah, re- you can read any of my articles as well that pop up on Popcorn Tennis would be fantastic as well.
0: Yeah, including ex- 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 the next. including an excellent article that you've just penned uh, on, uh, on watching tennis um, on a budget. And listen, James, I certainly think there's a a hole or a gap in the market for you for tennis and tourism uh, as a result. So uh, plenty of opportunities there for you. I know you're a tourism expert too, but listen, on a, on a, on a positive note, um, at least there was a bit more of a, a crowd for the final and somebody who's certainly flying high after the final is Caroline Garcia. Congratulations to her And her fans and it's been an amazing year she's taken me by surprise i'm now putting a limit on this by saying that i don't think she can quite go up to the next level i.e win a grand slam or get to world number one so caroline garcia maybe we can clip this in a year from now when you've won a couple of slams and you're on top of the on top of the world uh so i listen i'd love to see that happen sakuri and sabalenka i keep my fingers crossed i know that gary feels similarly That hopefully they can have big 2023s as well. But one more time, I just want to say a big thank you to you, James, um, aka at Tennis Ranta on Twitter. Um, Thanks for joining us today, by the way.
2: And thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me on.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant, James. And to the rest of the tennis world, thank you for stopping by.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.